And welcome, film fans, to a brand new mini-sode for the Epic Film Guys podcast. This is Justin, and I am joined by our good friend who never comes on the show anymore. That's not true. The god of podcasting, the one you all really want to hear from, the Loy Sauce. Yes, hello, I am the Loy Sauce. The Sauce of Loy, (laughs) which you love to dribble in your mouth every single night before you go to bed. Mm. We are recording this special fear horror-filled mini-sode on none other than Columbus Day, Loy Sauce, because you and I, well, I'm off of work today. We're actually recording this in the middle of the day, which is kind of strange for the Epic Film Guys podcast. But yeah, Columbus Day, mm-hmm. that, that's still a thing. The, the only Chris Columbus <laughs> I recognize is the director of Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire. That is correct. <laughs> I could fully agree with that. Let's just make it Chris Columbus Day. Like everyone loves Home Alone, dude. Like legit, I've never met a single person that doesn't love Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, yeah, I, I like that idea. Everyone should stay home from work and from school and, and watch Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone instead. <laughs> Another great one, seriously. <laughs> but Nick is this Nick is gone this week. He said, "Yo, it's Spooky Month. You and Loy Sauce go spooge all over everything horror related." And I'm I'm totally in the midst of this right now. I'm totally in mode. I started early August, as you guys know, but I'm like fully in mode. Well, we're knee we're knee deep in the 31 day horror challenge. That is correct, and we've had a handful of new participants joining, which is awesome. So if you're listening, thank you so much for joining the Horror Challenge. I know a lot of people do their own personal little 31 days of Halloween. It's kind of become a normal thing for people's October schedule, especially those that love movies, which is awesome. I love seeing it. So if you're listening to this and you've never heard of our challenge, it's the same thing. You just have to watch 15 movies you've never seen, and the rest of the month you can enjoy all of your favorites, your Halloweens, your Nightmare on Elm Streets, your Friday the 13th, which we'll be talking about that in a little bit but we just love everyone participating it's just a lot of fun we get to comment back and forth and just chat about these movies and it kind of helps you learn about new movies you may not have heard of before especially with people watching a wide array of varieties right Louis sauce that's right that's right i mean i've been watching some movies that i've seen before sleepy hollow uh jason x american werewolf in london but of course uh some new discoveries including a film that we just watched called lady in white which is the first little portion of that film is set at Halloween and it so brilliantly encapsulates the spirit and the feeling of Halloween. Very nostalgic, very spooky. Uh, very much enjoyed that one. Yeah, I mean, you bought that for me uh, before Shot Factory, put it out of print. I had heard so much about it. I had never watched it. A lot of you listeners out there probably grew up with it. I know a lot of people that love horror movies and the spooky season consider it one of their favorites, their favorite classic movies from that era of the 80s. I'd never seen it, but I just kept seeing the box art. I'm like, I have to see this. And for me, Louis House, I don't think another movie nailed the holiday of Halloween like this movie until maybe Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat ever. Like, it's just gorgeous. It literally puts you in the mood for Halloween. And it you said it was shot in all like upstate New York area or outside of New York City, which I'm from upstate New York, so it gives me the feels so so deep. So and the little kid, that the little kid in the movie, Lucas Haas, the the main character, looks exactly like little baby Justin. <laughs> A little bit. If he had a bigger Italian nose, he would be there. He is playing an Italian character in the movie. It's a full Italian family, but really enjoyed that one. But the other movie um, that we watched recently that's brand new to us is The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which we'll be actually reviewing on this episode a little bit later. That's right. But we actually had a great weekend that had to do with horror and all things spooky at our favorite place in the entire world, Loisos. Why don't you tell our listeners where we were? 
the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. You've heard us talk about oh, this place. Oh, surprise! You've heard us talk about this place so often, but we ha- just have to mention, this is the most magical place that's ever existed, the Mahoning It's not Disney theater. World. It's not, it's not, it's Disney, not World. Disney World, but it's close. It's it's almost as great. No, it's it's a really special place, and it's almost become like a not even just a drive-in theater, but a convention destination because convention halls are not a thing, at least currently due to the COVID situation. But what they've managed to do is they've managed to to get some special guests associated with the films that they're showing on 35 millimeter film. And they're bringing them to the Mahoning for convention experience, a meet and greet kind of experience, and for them to be a part of the drive-in experience as well. So it's this beautiful collision of worlds. And uh, this past weekend was, was Freddy Fest, which we went to last year? Last year. Yep, yeah, last year. And so this was Freddy Fest Volume 2. And they showed a few Nightmare on Elm Street movies and other films that are kind of tangentially associated with Nightmare on Elm Street um, or direct ripoffs of a Nightmare on Elm Street. What was so cool this time is that they were, well, we were there on Thursday night. They showed a Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master. So they had some of the actors associated with Nightmare on Elm Street 4, but they also brought a very special guest in the form of Mr. Mark Patton. And you and I had done an Epic Film Guys B-Sides episode on A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and Scream Queen, My, My, My Nightmare on Elm Street, the documentary about Mark Patton's journey. So the fact that he was there and we were able to meet him was incredible because I think we mentioned on the episode, like we're not going to have another opportunity for a long time, if at That's all, right. ever to meet Mark Patton. And then this opportunity kind of materialized in front of us. But um, it was it was really, really special. It was special. And I have to say, meeting so many people at conventions, so many people that, you know, we've grown up loving in movies. Mark was the biggest sweetheart and so appreciative of what we were doing, what we were saying to him. We mentioned the episode. He was so thankful for that and all the kind words and everything and I loved it when I went to go take the photo with him he was like oh it's kind of like our first date at prom when we're, <laughs> we took a picture in front of the the amazing facade that Mahoning built that looked like the outside of the Elm Street house it was absolutely gorgeous with the cool spooky lighting and everything and then he said you're all my children now and in like the sweetest voice ever so he actually gave us free scream scream queen posters amazing beautiful print that Matt Ryan Tobin did with the beautiful artwork signed for free um, he was just I, I wish I got to talk to him longer so hopefully in the future, ladies and gentlemen, that will be an opportunity that will occur on the show. Maybe we'll be able to bring Mark on and talk a little bit more about his experience on Nightmare 2 and, of course, his amazing documentary. If you have not watched the documentary, if you have Shutter Lois House, it's on there, correct? It is, yes. So, and just, I mean, I would just say go ahead out and buy it. It's on Amazon Prime for purchase. It's amazing if you haven't had a chance to watch it. It's the perfect spooky season right now to watch it. But absolutely amazing amazing event over the weekend i just wish we got to stay the entire weekend last year we did the entire weekend this year we just did the kind of the soft opening night but still an amazing experience and the day after while you scooted home myself and our good friend of the show patron brady went to see the theater from the blob the 1958 steve mcqueen classic the colonial theater it's right outside philadelphia about 20 minutes or whatever i said you know what we're gonna be on our way home let's check out something else that has to do with horror history and the streets were like basically like blocked off dude it was like you didn't drive that you could walk down them you just you know little blockades on each side of this awesome strip of historic stores and restaurants and 
lots of breweries, lots of places to booze it up. Beautiful little town and took some pictures. Gorgeous vintage theater. They're actually showing Possessor, which is a film you watched recently. You have yet to review it, um, but they were showing up like, man, it would have been great to actually sit down in that theater and watch a movie. I know that we had discussed in the past with Dina Marie from Twisted Philly Podcast to join her there to do a live broadcast, a podcasting event, if you will, at Blobfest, which usually happens every single year at the Colonial. But unfortunately, that never came to fruition. Hopefully, when things go back to normal in the future, that may happen. But it was cool to see Loisos. Any opportunity that I get to see anything film related, you know what I do. I go out of my way to see it. So that was just another great thing to add. I mean, so many people are having a hard time right now with COVID. And, you know, my point of view on this is, is go out of your way. Do whatever you can to make yourself happy. That's, you know, a healthy option for you. Go outside and run around with your family members and your friends. Just like when, you know, myself and my family went to go see the Blair Witch filming locations a few weeks back, which is an absolute blast. Just do what you can, Blois Sauce. But another huge do what you can safely, tidbit. Which yeah. you all are doing, and I encourage all of our listeners to do as well. Do what you can, do it safely. I mean, some people are extending the 31 days of Halloween movie watching to 61 days. You know, there's September and October being dominated by horror movies because they just want that Halloween uh, feeling to last a little bit longer. So uh, whatever makes you happy, folks. And we still don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be based on county, based on state or whatever. But if trick-or-treating is going to happen around here, trick-or-treating is obviously something that it will be dependent on how you feel about it. I mean, my opinion on it is, yo, wear some gloves. You're all wearing fucking masks anyways. Go get your candy. You know, socially distancing. I mean, it's trick-or-treating. I mean, the way that things are now anyway, the last five years. You know, myself and Danielle go with our nephews trick-or-treating. And people don't really hang out the way they did when we were kids anyway. So it's it's already almost socially distanced. But, you know, still allow the spirit of Halloween to be there. Let's not let it ruin it for everybody. But another horror-related huge thing that happened last week is people started to receive their Shout Factory Friday the 13th Blu-ray box sets. And I myself was lucky enough to receive mine on Wednesday the same night that myself and my family went to go to Carvel to try the Hocus Pocus green milkshake, Lois sauce. It was actually <sighs> quite delicious, but it did actually make me have to run home and take the biggest fucking dump of all time. So, worth to the wise, if your stomach's sensitive with that kind of stuff, just be aware of that. Just like but the movie makes me want to evacuate my listen. bowels. <laughs> Listen, God damn it, Loy Sauce. We're going to talk about this movie by the end of this month. I swear to you, listeners, it's going to happen. You're going to hear Loy Sauce be told over and over how wrong he is about Hocus Pocus, but that's another episode altogether. But Loy Sauce, did you get your Friday box set? I sure did. It's a, it's a thing of beauty. The, the artwork, the fact that each film has its own individual case, it, it's clear to me that they put a lot of effort and, uh, and thought and love into the design and the presentation of such a collection because this means so much to so many fans. I'm not going to go out of my way and say that the Friday the 13th series is my favorite thing ever. Um, I enjoy... I will. I, well, I mean, but I'm just saying I enjoy some of the films more than others, but the fact that it's in one collection and the fact that it is so beautiful when it looks... like The way that it looks sitting on your shelf, I had to jump on it. When it was first announced, I immediately... It's something you just immediately have to get because I missed out on the Halloween deluxe edition set. I have the kind of the standard version. Well, Lois Sauce, I missed out on that too and had to purchase mine secondhand on eBay on an auction and luckily won it for just a little over a hundred bucks. 
So, I mean, I lucked out with that, but I do, when that came out, I was in no place in my life to be able to blow that kind of money on a box set. And I missed out anyway. It sold out very quickly. This one is more widely available. You can still purchase it right now on Amazon Prime. I believe the price last I looked was like 130 bucks or something, which is 100% worth it. You're 100% correct. The amount of effort that went into this and the gorgeous, beautiful artwork that Devin did, Devin of Cavity Colors. Um, they're one of the biggest horror apparel companies out there. Great dudes, him and Aaron kill it and I'm so glad they got Devin to do this every single Jason Voorhees is on the front of that and properly represented I'm saying a lot of people are like fuck it I don't need the poster you know to order it early with Shout Factory for the extra money the lithograph poster that Shout sent is gorgeous the actual print the quality of that artwork it's in a full size poster dude it's not just like a small little print I didn't expect it to be that big that's definitely getting framed and going on my wall that's a great opportunity for me to go hey all the Jasons that are still alive let's get all the signatures on this baby but um as far as content, because the packaging is obviously gorgeous. The case is gorgeous. Each movie has a sleeve, a reversible sleeve. Um, the disc art, everything's cool. Did you get a chance to dig into any of the actual content? Uh, very little of it. I haven't even checked out the the, the gore footage from part two that they found Oh yet. my God, I know. dude. I know. That was the first fucking thing as soon as I opened that shit. I did a quick Instagram story unboxing, which quite a few people watched and were very excited and as well as jealous about. I'm like, dude, don't hate, man. I was all excited for you guys when you got yours the day before I got mine. You know, everyone in a communal way appreciate this together because it's it's honestly a miracle this thing actually happened. I mean, you know that I had said before I'd hoped they would do a 4K version of the set, but I understand why Shout didn't decide to go that route. I myself have actually watched all four of the first movies, which is the only four they did brand new 4K restorations for. And I have to say, man, they did a fantastic job. One looks absolutely gorgeous. Two was probably the biggest stunner of the bunch. I was actually very surprised on how beautiful two looked. Three um, is always going to have that little fuzziness, that that softness because of the 3D uh, way it was shot and everything. This is the only opportunity that I wish that I had a 3D TV because they actually have the real 3D version. And I'm over here, a 3D hater, but I'm like, well, I would love to have one. Just for that. A little nitpick, I wish they would have included the red and blue 3D glasses just at, for completeness sake, because I still have those um, those glasses that came with the DVD that the has DVD. the yeah. hockey mask print on it. And I would have liked, them as well somewhere. I, I would like to keep those and include it with the set, but you can't have everything. It, it's, it, no. The fact that they included the real 3D version for people with t- 3D TVs, and I've actually heard of some people buying 3D TVs just for this, and that you can't even really get those anymore. No, you can't. They don't really make them anymore. I I mean, I'm happy with my setup. I'm not going to, you know, talk about that anymore on this show. But everything that I watched looked really good. And yes, the first thing I did was watch the extra kill footage from part two, which a lot of people had an anticipation for this loy sauce. And reason being is we all knew this was it. We had heard about it, but we didn't know if it ever was going to come to existence for us to see. And it did. Now it is VHS footage. It's not like high quality or anything. And there's no sound to it, but it is absolutely amazing. It's like a few minutes of additional footage on all the major kills in the movie. Um, Just something great for fans to see, because I know that a lot of these movies got shredded by the MPAA, and most of that footage did not get kept anywhere, uh, especially not by Paramount, because they didn't care about it, unfortunately. We all know we'll never see the uncut footage from... You know, John Carl Beekler's Part 7, which is a huge bummer because that movie would probably be a million times better, even though I already like it, um, with all the additional gore footage and kills and such. But I got to say, though, one of my nitpicks, because I started to go through some of the special features, which are massive. They've included almost all of the special features from the previous sets. 
And they've done some new stuff, including Loisos, a brand new interview with Steve Miner, which is the director of Part 2, Part 3, and the director of H2O, which he actually talks about a little bit. He was not present during the Halloween box set to talk to do a new interview about that. So um, I've heard he was very difficult to get for this. So that's a really big deal. And his interview is like 25 minutes. Really great to see that. But dude... We all love Sean Clark, Horror's Hallowed Grounds. We love when Shout gets him to do filming locations because he's got an awesome personality. He's fun. He has little quips. He knows his shit. And he always does the locations with style. I can't say the guy's name on the air, but whoever they got this fucking stick in the mud, wet fucking blanket to do the filming locations for part one and part two, dude is the most boring thing I've ever (laughs) experienced. So if there's anything for me to nitpick or critique, that dude put me to sleep. I'm like, I did the locations for part one. I could have done a way better job than you. And I'm not even that good at that kind of thing. Not to toot my own horn or anything, White Sauce. All right, I'll make it clear. Okay. You could have done a better job. I will take your word for it. I have not seen this location featurette, but uh, <laughs> I, I, w- I would try well, we'll to make it, to if, it were, if it were up to me, I'd try to make it as fun and dynamic as I possibly could. Yeah, dude is reading lines off a fucking chalkboard or something like he's in grade school. I don't know, dude. Either way, that's the slightest nitpick. This is the high- highest recommendation for me of the entire year as far as home video releases. Even if you're like a minor fan, I mean, like, how could you pass up a chance to have all of them in this beautiful set? If you're a minor um, fan or if you're a Steve minor fan. Listen, <laughs> sauce that attempt uh no i mean is it too early in the day i I guess it must be but there's something else loisos wants to talk about before we take a little quick break and then get to our main review on the show something you've been heavily anticipating for quite a while now we did do a quick review of the brand new (laughs) reboot of scooby-doo aka scoob earlier in the year i watched it just for you i paid whatever it was an astronomical price of (laughs) 25 fucking dollars or whatever it was to rent Scoob. Three minutes in, the wife's like, this is terrible. Do we have to? I'm like, yes, we have to finish it. Yes. But you wanted to talk about the new Scooby-Doo Halloween movie. That's right. So this is a brand new animated feature uh, starring Scooby-Doo. They make at least one direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movie a year because you got to milk that cash cow for all that it's worth. Am I right? Oh, of course. 100%. It's a franchise that keeps selling. That's right. Keep buying it. So That's right. Uh, So I had pretty high hopes for this entry once I watched the trailer and heard of its pedigree. This was written, produced, and directed by Maxwell Adams, who is the creator of a um, somewhat edgier and horror-centric comedy series on Cartoon Network that I used to enjoy called The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. And also, I saw that it had supporting roles from Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yeah, baby. And and none other than uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy, uh, who is a kind of a hero of my childhood. So not only that, but it was centered around my favorite holiday, Halloween. So the problem was I was burned by the Scooby franchise just earlier this year. So Happy Halloween Scooby-Doo comes fresh off of the heels of the CGI animated crap fest Scoob, which is quite possibly the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, stop exaggerating, Loisos. I know it's early in the day and you haven't had any booze or anything. I I think that movie killed me. I I think it literally, like, my soul left my body after watching that movie because of how how horrible it was and how it ruined the franchise. And anyway, so I approached this movie with a healthy mix of anticipation and dread uh, because there was also another film, which is um, possibly the other worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life, called Return to Zombie Island. 
And that was featured on my worst of uh, list for last year, uh, least favorite films. Yeah, I I was not sure what to make of this, uh, but I quite enjoyed it. Well. Despite myself. Um, So it starts right off the bat. So it opens with a main title sequence that shows the Mystery Inc. gang squashing the villainous plans of Dr. Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. the Scarecrow. Yes, that Scarecrow (laughs) from Batman. What? (laughs) No way. Well, uh, Scooby-Doo has crossed over with Batman many times in the past before, so it's not necessarily a surprise, but it was interesting because, um, well, I'll get into what part he has to play necessarily in the movie, but this main title sequence is all in one take, and it's from the perspective of inside the mystery machine. So the camera is fixed inside the mystery machine, and it shows uh, the van getting smashed into and flipping over and everything. So it's a really visually dynamic way to start the movie. The main plot concerns a truckload full of toxic waste mixing with the Scarecrow's fear gas, which then leaks into a nearby pumpkin patch to create these gigantic floating sentient pumpkins that eat the townsfolk and then turn them into what Shaggy and Scooby call jackal lanterns. So it's a really creative premise, really fun. And it's up to, you know, of course, Fred, Velma, Daphne, uh, Shaggy, and Scooby, with help from Bill Nye and Elvira, to solve the mystery and to save the town of Crystal Cove. Dude, so that combination, that combination, I'm sorry, just the way you worded that, with the help of Bill Nye and Elvira, <laughs> I never thought I'd ever hear that come out of anybody's mouth. Well, it's a weird movie. There's a lot going on, clearly. Um, but there is a really playful, like, anarchic, self-aware humor throughout the movie that kind of, without being mean to the source material, like, I feel like Return to Zombie Island and Scoob when they pointed out, oh, the fact that we've crossed over with um, Phyllis Diller and oh, isn't it, you know, here are all the lines, meddling kids. And it it kind of poked fun at the conventions and the tropes of the Scooby-Doo franchise. This does it in a way where it doesn't feel like it's trying to be like hip. Um, It does it in a very, like I I said, a very self-aware uh, and playful way. There are really clever touches throughout, uh, and and blink and you'll miss it gags. Like for example, there's a there's a scene at the beginning where Mister Ink is all dressed in skeleton costumes as, as disguises, and Fred is still wearing his ascot over the skeleton costume, <laughs> which is really funny. There's a scene at a Halloween party where a guy's wearing a T-shirt that just says costume, but it's in the way back, and you wouldn't notice it if you weren't looking for it the first time around. But um, there's a part where Shaggy uses Scooby as a machine gun to spit candy from his mouth like bullets. Dude, that sounds amazing. (laughs) It's really funny. There's a terrific action sequence in which the gang fights the jack-o'-lanterns and they kind of use their brains and their brawn to find creative ways to smash the pumpkins. And by the end, they're covered, like the gang is just like covered in pumpkin guts and goo, which, you know, slight spoilers, it doesn't really make much sense once the mystery is revealed that they're covered in goo, but it doesn't matter, who cares? Um, Also, half the movie is, is like a Mad Max Fury Road style car chase with the mystery machine well actually it's like the new and improved mystery machine x that bill nye builds them because the mystery machine gets smashed at the beginning of the movie so but but they're being pursued by like hordes of angry jack-o'-lanterns and so a lot of the movie is like a like a car chase like extended car chase so it doesn't really make much sense also when they're still driving and yet they're having like exposition expository scenes they're just like talking and they're still being chased and i'm like how long does this road (laughs) how long does this road go on for they've been driving for half the movie so anyway you don't really listen 
this is this is the, the the franchise that back in the day the cartoon would show the same background exactly. over and over again while they're running down the hallway. <laughs> exactly. So. exactly. So that could be a reference. I don't know. It's chock full of references to other Scooby Doo media and uh, classic horror films and pop culture. So that could be the voice cast. Of course, is is the classic Scooby Doo voice cast that's been doing uh, these movies for several years. You have Matthew Lillard, of course, as Shaggy, and he is just so perfect. You have um, Frank Welker doing both Scooby-Doo and Fred Jones. And then you have Gray Griffin doing Daphne. Kate Micucci is kind of a newbie to the franchise. She voices Velma. I'm not the biggest fan of her portrayal of Velma, uh, but I really liked what they did with her character in this. She has the most to do, I think, and Velma herself has a really strong character arc, which I was not expecting from this. Um, if you have any kind of sexual attraction to these characters, which I don't know why you would, but the movie delivers fan service in that area too. You know why they would, because of all the cosplayers. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure there's like a couple Scooby-Doo pornos out there. I'm sure there are. Real life people, not animated. I'm sure that actually... You know, there probably is animated Scooby-Doo porn as well, but that's why Lois off. Yeah, so you have... How many sexy Velmas have you seen? A lot of that's them. That's true, because you have Daphne in a corset, or, you know, if you ever wanted to see Daphne in a virus switch clothes, this movie delivers that. You have Fred, at one point, shirtless and in war paint as an extended homage to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator. <laughs> Again, really weird, but I'm fine with it. This movie also establishes continuity with the previous two entries in the direct-to-video line of Scooby-Doo movies, which is admirable that it even tries to tie things together. But I wish it were a little bit more self-contained, seeing as I now have to acknowledge Scooby-Doo Return to Zombie Island as canon. (laughs) But it is what it is. Stepping stones, my friend. Literally, you had to walk over one really shitty movie to get to one that seems like you really enjoyed. So two bad Scooby-Doo movies, and now you finally got one that sounds like it's an absolute Halloween blast, man. It is. Uh, I will say a couple criticisms. I mean, the animation for me is lacking. Uh, I know these movies are made very quickly and very cheaply, um, but the environments aren't given a whole lot of depth. They don't even bother with things like shadows or proper shading. Everything looks very clean. Um, It's clear that this is 2D animation, but it would render on a computer, um, which I know is that's how they do things these days. But if you compare this, and I'm going to bring it up again, to Scooby-Doo on of Zombie course. Island, <laughs> which I, I can't really compare because that was a concentrated effort to resurrect the Scooby franchise, whereas this is just like yet another uh, one of these things that they do yearly. Uh, but I can't help it because I've seen what the franchise is capable of. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island is kind of the gold standard for these movies, and it's always a little bit Uh, of a shame when they don't quite measure up. Um, I don't think anything ever will. But despite the animation not looking all that great, they still find a way to keep it visually interesting. Um, Like I mentioned, the main title sequence before. So, I mean, hats off to Maxwell Adams. Uh, He he really made something that's funny, the right amount of funny and spooky, true to the spirit of Scooby-Doo while updating it for today's family audiences, you know, giving, giving Mystery Inc. modern tech to work with without resorting to cheap jokes about Netflix and Tinder and that sort of thing. So for me, it was... Oh, God. Yeah, it was... Uh, I don't want to think about that ever again. Why did you have to bring that up? Yeah, I'm sorry. Because oh, it exists. It's part of the Scooby-Doo no. mythos now. So this was very refreshing after being disappointed with a lot of the recent Scooby-Doo output. And while I haven't seen every single Scooby-Doo movie or cartoon incarnation, because um, I have a life, this seems like a welcome return to form for me. So I'm giving Happy Halloween Scooby-Doo a 7 out of 10 rating. Well then, trick or treaty, want a piece of me Reese's. <laughs> that sounds like a sweet Halloween treat for 
for all you Scooby-Doo fans out there. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a little movie we watched last night that was very pleasantly surprising for me. Uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow, directed by Jim Cummings, someone that you actually have met in person and kind of know. So we're really excited to talk about some indie stuff for once. It's been a long time since we've done that. So it's a quick break. We'll be right back. What up? This is Dina Marie, the host of the Twisted Philly podcast. There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome Welcome to to Twisted Twisted Philly. You don't have to be from Philadelphia or Pennsylvania for that matter to get into this show. You just need to like some seriously weird, twisted shit. Plus, listening to me gush about the places I love to go, the history I love to tell, and the really sick, twisted crimes we've had going on here since back in the Victorian era. So come sit a spell with me in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. You can find me on iTunes and all the other major podcast apps. Welcome back, film fans, and thanks for hanging out with us and sticking with us for another spooky episode of the Epic Film Guys Podcast. It's a little chilly in here, my friend. Uh, You know, if you like what you're hearing, if you love us, if this is your first time and you're really enjoying what you're hearing, head on over to iTunes and please, please, please show us some love with a five-star review. Or, if you're like Voice Oss, you're totally wrong, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island 2 is a masterpiece. No one thinks or, that. <laughs> if you like Scoob, this, earlier this year a lot of people did. If you think Voice Sauce sucks and that movie rules, say that in your review and give us a one-star review. We don't really care as long as you're, you know, acknowledging that we exist. Thank you so, so much. And thanks for all of our regular listeners that are sticking with us through the COVID days and all the content we're trying to serve up for you guys. But right now, Voice Sauce, it's time for our featured review, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which just landed on digital this last week. And theaters. Little, we're we're it, showing well, it at our Alamo Draft House. Proudly. God damn it. Why did you not tell me that? I would I, I might have actually come out and seen it if there was no one in the theater. Of course you don't tell me a damn thing anymore. Oh oh well, anyways, it's a werewolf movie, Loisos. Tell our listeners what it's all about. Absolutely. So um just to give a little bit of context, I was anticipating this film very highly after viewing Jim Cummings' debut feature, 
called Thunder Road. I put it in my top five favorite films of 2018 list. I think it's a pretty remarkable feat of performance, writing, and directing. You have not seen Thunder Road, Justin, so um, is that correct? I've seen the trailer like a billion times because when Alamo was promoting it, you played it for every single movie. So I I, I basically know the movie, though. Well, we wanted people to to come out and support because... No, it's a good thing. Yeah, because it it was a micro-budget feature and it got a lot of attention and Jim Cummings actually came to the Alamo and we did a screening with a Q&A with him and that was a fantastic experience. So I'm not, I'm not, we're not reviewing this movie and I'm not um, praising Thunder Road because I know Jim Cummings. I genuinely believe like he is an immense, immense talent. So I was looking forward to this. Um, I heard it described as uh, Fargo meets the howling, uh, which may or may not be accurate, but we'll talk about that. Um, So I was, I was looking forward to this very much. And of course, my hopes were raised even higher when the film opens with the Orion Films logo. Isn't it great to see that logo on a major motion picture? <laughs> Every single time I get goosebumps because they didn't update it. It's all grainy and old. They literally just copy and pasted the old one over. So it definitely gives a feel of nostalgia. And I love that feeling that, th- that they're back. Absolutely. With Gretel and Hansel earlier this year, which ruled. And now this, they're they're on a roll. So, so Jim Cummings in the film plays John Marshall, who's a police officer uh, with alcoholism, anger issues and a strained relationship with his daughter. And if you've seen Thunder Road, that sounds very familiar. But so Officer Marshall finds his ambition to become the new sheriff put to the test when a series of bizarre and gruesome murders begin to plague the small town of Snow Hollow. And the townsfolk and even some of the other police seem convinced that it's the work of a werewolf. Everyone except John, because there's no such thing as werewolves, right? But is there? (laughs) So this movie is... Kind of a curious blend of different genres, a, a blend of creature feature, police procedural, quirky comedy, and family drama. Justin, I'm going to throw it over to you of your initial thoughts on The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I was not anticipating this movie at all whatsoever, so I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I had seen a few other people on their Instagram pages and other indie film critics posting about it. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what this is. And then you brought it up that maybe we should cover something like this this week, because we've been doing a lot of bigger movies here. We've been doing a lot of big anniversaries. Last week, Nick and I did Goodfellas. If you haven't listened to that, uh, oh boy, six pack, <laughs> pound them back really, really fast and listen to that. Hang on. Uh, yeah, hang on to your seats. But, um, you know, I, I'll be, watch any new werewolf movie. We never, Loisos, get new werewolf movies. Last night before we watched it, I'm like, when was the last time we got a werewolf movie? And you looked at me and you, with a very curious I mean, there's like remark on your face. The, the Wolfman remake. There's like late. That was like 2010, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, it was like late, fa- late so- phases in 2014. But they're very few and far between. And very few of them are good. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, well, we rarely get really good ones. Right. Um, but for me, I really, right from the beginning of this movie, I really loved the look and the feel. Uh, ben Lovett did the score, who did the ritual, the signal. Um, he's great with, with synth-styled scores, but there was just like a really deep sense of dread as soon as the movie starts with this beautiful overhead shot, all of these different shots of the mountains and this snowy little town blending into each other very quickly. And I really enjoyed it. Like it immediately set the stage for what this movie was going to be. Though I'll find out later that the movie is not exactly what I thought it was going to be, which was 
is, again, pleasantly surprising to me. This is Robert Forrester's last performance mm. in a movie, so it was a little bit bittersweet seeing him in there. Um, he still does a remarkable job with his performance in the film. Um, they don't really give him much to do, which I was like, eh, I get it. This was a smaller role for him anyways, but it was great to see him still acting and still putting forth all of the effort that he had available. And I love, like I said, anything werewolf-related. So the movie opens, and we're seeing this couple coming out for basically like a vacation weekend or something in this cabin and looks like they're about to have a blast for the weekend. They're in a small little town bar having some dinner and some ruffians come in a little bit drunk, kind of like redneck bigots, if you will. And they spot off some slurs and it pisses the guy off. He's there with his his soon to be in his mind fiance because he's got a ring in his pocket. You know, he's trying to set everything up for the perfect weekend for him and his his girlfriend. Which once you see that ring, you're like, oh, no. (laughs) Nope. Well, that's that's not going to happen, buddy. Sorry. You're in the opening of a werewolf movie. You're probably not going to last long. And that's how it works. But the movie kind of sets it up where you think that you might be with these characters for the the whole movie. And that's not the case. So I kind of liked that, that they gave us a taste of something like, nope, that's not what you're going to get. And the opening kill, the opening sequence has a great amount of suspense very quickly. It's not drawn out or anything like that. But when you see the male character walk out the door after he's like all ready to get prepared, you know, to have the wine out and the rings ready. And he sees his girlfriend literally in pieces. Yeah. It's, it's a great way to start off the movie for sure. Sets the tone. Well, sets, sets the, the tone and also the threat right off the bat, which I think is very strong. But then we meet uh, our main character and I feel like, cause he, the first time you see Officer John, he's at a anger management, a meeting for anger management. The movie right away kind of draws a parallel between like the horror of the monster within all of us and John's struggle with his, you know, kind of unstable mental state and later on his addiction, especially his fragile masculinity. I mean, the film doesn't really dive into these themes with the depth that perhaps they deserve, but the film runs a brisk. You, you could argue it's what, like an hour and 20 something. You, you could argue right? like almost frantic 85 minutes with that's including logos and credits. So it's tough to balance all of that on top of being a satisfying genre picture. But I think Cummings manages it because. Yeah. So it's a it's a balance between themes, but it's also a tonal balance because you do have dark moments with menace and horror. You set the stage brilliantly and you set it yourself at the beginning very well. But it's also a great comedy. Oh, yeah, definitely. I laugh my ass off plenty of times. There's there's a dark humor in there. But going back to Cummings' character, I mean, dude, this guy's got... John Marshall has everything on his shoulders, like literally everything that could possibly be wrong with you in your late 30s is wrong with him. His dad, who is the sheriff, is extremely unhealthy, won't come to terms with it, will not get checked up by a hospital. So he has this stress of trying to hide to the public that his dad is sick and that he's still, you know, strong as the sheriff. He wants to be the next sheriff. He's estranged from his ex-wife, who he hates. He's got anger management problems. He's an alcoholic. He's a cop that has to deal with these murders. His daughter hates him. And he has a teenage daughter, and he's not connected with her. He's having issues with this. So, dude, literally, I can't imagine anything else that would make this more difficult for this character, which leads to why he's constantly fucking screaming every single line in the entire movie, which at some point gets a little bit jarring, but I understand why he is the way he is. It's also funny. It's definitely a bit of comedy relief where when they're in these situations where at these crime scenes and he's literally holding back, you could see it in his face like he's about to burst. And when he doesn't, it's a great performance from Cummings where you're seeing, man, this guy really had to channel like aggressiveness to, to a T. 
Yeah, for sure. Because it's it's such a tricky character to play. Because at certain times throughout the film, at different times, you feel pity, annoyance, fondness, frustration, ultimately warmth towards this character who's very abrasive. Well, for me, it's definitely understanding. I mean, it's been mentioned on this podcast, the problems I've had when I was younger. We all go through shit in our lives, and I could definitely relate to this guy. There are scenes with him just sulking in a corner, (laughs) you know, at his house. And you're like, who hasn't been there? Like, you know you've been there with a bottle in hand. If you've ever had a problem in life, you know, divorce, loss of a loved one, anything like that. I mean, dude, you can totally uh, see it in his eyes, man. He just absolutely rips this performance, man. He's great. Well, in his eyes, and he also, it's a very physical performance from him. I'm not going to give anything away, but there's a scene with him involving an oven where I was like, I can't even believe he just did that. Dude, and and he did it for real, too. So when you see the movie, you know, it's like, whoa, like some of the stuff he did, one of my favorite scenes, and I will say this, whatever, you won't know the context until you watch the movie anyway, so it doesn't matter. So he gets something in his face, I'll say that. He literally goes into the fridge and takes like a gallon jug of milk and pours it all over his face for real. And it's like, you don't see people doing that in movies anymore. You just don't see like- Commitment. practical physical commitment to stuff like this and cummings obviously has that but dude we got to get to the meat of this thing this is a werewolf movie at its core it is i mean it is a movie about family it's a family drama slash comedy with horror and that's really difficult to balance we've seen so many other movies in the past attempt it and fail that we've seen the american werewolves and the howlings that have done it beautifully that are classics that are perfection so um we have a werewolf in this movie and we sure I do. Have to say, yeah, we sure do. And we, <laughs> just watch the fucking movie. I, I don't think we're gonna do it. I don't even know no if we want to open that up until later. No spoilers on this, but um, I love the design of the werewolf. I think the design of a werewolf in a werewolf movie can either make or break a movie. Uh, hey, listen, Silver Bullet, I love you. You know I'm talking about you. That's a fucking bear, not a werewolf. Silver um, Bullet but, is one of the greatest werewolf movies ever made. Until it is. Well, it is. Well, but I mean. <laughs> the design definitely hampers the effect of that third it, it, Listen, it's fine, but I'm saying in general, it, for some people, the design can make or break a, a were- werewolf or wolfman movie. And here I have to say, this is one of my favorite werewolf designs that I've seen of any movie in a long time. Think Dog Soldiers and the Howling, more or less here. We get a tall standing werewolf. It doesn't look like a wolfman. It's like a full wolf. We only get glimpses of it. Now, when the movie first started, Lois Sauce. The first kill, we don't see anything wolf-related, so I was like, hmm, are they going to do this whole thing with with shadow and suggestion, or are we actually going to see a dude in a suit, or I was just praying, dude, that we weren't going to get another Annabelle comes home oh, style God. werewolf. I was like, no, please don't do this to me. Oh, the amount of disappointment we felt on that evening. It would have been but- very easy to um, just have like off-screen growling and that be your werewolf. <laughs> That's what it was for Annabelle Off comes home. growling. That's what it was. Blood splattered, you know. But, um, but no, they did a, a fantastic job of teasing the werewolf. And then when you finally get it, my favorite shot in the entire fucking movie is when this chick who's like a, a, a ski snowboard instructor is being basically stalked by the werewolf out in the middle of nowhere. In a parking great lot. Great build yeah. up, great suspense in a parking lot. There's a beautiful wide shot. You see the full moon glowing. You see the mountains behind her. And then you see her laying on the ground and you see the werewolf kind of like like bunched up then stand up on its hind legs. It is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, there are scenes in this movie that gave me chills up my spine that you just don't see that kind of dedication and love in horror movies, especially not a wolf, a werewolf movie. And you get to see a full, I mean, it's, it's a quick glimpse, but 
a full glimpse of the beast and you get a gun. couple you get a couple full views of it they show it just enough to where maybe some um flaws in the the design of the suit or whatever don't become apparent because it's on screen for just the right amount of time but the suit well, that, and they, the suit itself yeah. looks great it's gorgeous. Um, I tried to find you. Well, uh, butt in real quick here. I tried to find more pictures of it online for myself, just so I could look at it again before we talked about it. I couldn't find many, which is actually a good thing. Don't go spoil the look of the the beast before you watch the movie. Like myself, I always want to see it for the first time as I'm watching the film itself. But um, you had the opportunity because you you purchased the movie. There's a behind the scenes thing. Um, on Apple TV when you purchase it. So you actually got to see what it looked like with the the actor in the practical costume. Yeah, there's a very brief kind of behind-the-scenes piece on the design of the werewolf. And I got to give props to Lauren Wilde, who designed the mask, and Michael Yale, who designed the suit. Because, the it's I mean, the look of the werewolf is very tactile. It, obviously, they took time gluing like all of the individual hairs to the, um, the apparatus of the costume. They made effort. The, 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 the snout looks wet. The fangs are kind of wet and dripping looking. The werewolf is angry. He's hulking. Like It looks like a very formidable beast. And they really really did a great job with the practical effects. I have to salute them on this. If there was any CGI at all, I did not notice it. Was it was just there to smooth things over. Yeah, I didn't notice it at all. That was the one thing that I was paying so close attention to. And any scene where we saw it, I was looking for it. Because I'm like, like you said earlier, they could have very easily just CGI'd this thing and been like, a, had a day with it. But the amount of care and precision that went into this design and this costume, I, again, it's half the points I'm going to give this movie because I liked everything else about it. But at my core, as a werewolf fan, I mean, The Wolfman's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, you you got to appreciate it. Like in a day like 2020, in a year like 2020, uh, I I should say, you rarely see this kind of effort with practical effects. So if you're a practical effects fan, especially with werewolf movies or creature movies, you got to give this movie some love. I mean, every time you see it, every scene with it it is done amazingly. Absolutely. I will say it is unfortunate because you do have these amazing scenes with the werewolf, but they're often undercut by some jarring edits. You'll have edits between intense scenes of terror and and then it'll cut to scenes of family drama or police briefings or other more mundane scenes that kind of... Or John Marshall just like yelling about something else. Yeah, it'll like <laughs> cut in between. And I, I'm not sure. I, I think that was done for either humor or contrast, but I think it softens the impact that these scenes could have had in being really terrifying horror scenes. I will say, though, um, there are some creative scene transitions, though. Um, There's that part at the beginning where you see the full moon reflected in the bloody paw print on the snow, which then, like, dissolves into the next scene. Those really keep the energy moving. But I don't think those cross-cutting in between the werewolf scenes and the other mundane scenes uh, really added anything. In fact, it may have detracted. It definitely did detract for me. I mean, because for me, that intensity of those kills and those scenes were done so well, the way that they were lit, the way they were shot, the way they were acted. I mean, everything about them was almost perfect. And then you're kind of taking away from that. You're losing the intensity and the suspense from the viewer's perspective by adding that stuff in there. So I think it was just a bad creative choice, in my opinion, because you want to cater to all of the different audiences that are watching this. So one of them is obviously horror fans, and we want to see those suspense scenes, those kill scenes done to full intensity. Then immediately thereafter, give me the comedy. I mean, I don't know how many times we've seen in movies where like someone's getting chopped up and the next scene is a close-up of a hot dog. Totally fine. Fucking love it. It's hilarious. But don't put the hot dog in the middle of the kill. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, um... I mean, that's probably one of my only real issues with the movie because the rest of it was extremely enjoyable. 
and we're not going to get into spoilers because this is definitely one you want to rent. This one needs to be shown love. Buy it if you want to, if you're a completist. Like, I definitely plan on buying, the buying, I don't know if there's a Blu-ray available yet, Boy Sauce, but I definitely plan on purchasing one when it is available um, because I really, really enjoyed this movie. I think, especially for the spooky season, it came out right at the perfect time and it gives flavors of stuff that you've seen in other movies and it melds them together. Like Fargo with the howling, I can see that a little bit. I definitely, especially the small town vibe. and The setting is just so perfect in this. Um, I think they filmed it in Utah or something, but it's just such a stunning, there are scenes that take place kind of like in the mountains. There are scenes that take place, you know, in, in the snow where you see like the werewolf gore effects really are contrasted. You can see it breathing with the cold air coming out of its mouth. I mean, exactly, yeah. exactly. So the nuances, the setting was brilliant. I, I, I love that aspect of it. I mean, you mentioned Robert Forster before we wrap up here. I really wanted to talk about him because it's a really great posthumous performance as the sheriff. He has Cummings gives him a lot of really great zingers. There's a moment that I love and it's a small moment, but I loved it when they're talking about what the killer could possibly be. Who could it be? And one of the cops says, I think it's a werewolf. And Robert Forrester says something like, sure, why not? A werewolf. And Cummings instantly interjects with, I don't think it's a werewolf. It's not a werewolf. Werewolves don't exist. And and Robert Forrester goes, then you figure it out. You fucking figure it out. <laughs> I just love that I know, moment. Dude. So I think, I think more closure with his character, if there were a little bit more closure, I think it would have been the perfect swan song for him because it is such a great performance, but he kind of disappears from the movie after a while. He, he disappears. It's probably just because they could only afford to have him for so long. You know what I mean? And the, he's, he's not the central character. I would have liked a lot more of his relationship with his son because obviously it's strained. Um, you know, there's a lot there that didn't really get expanded upon, especially with him being sick in the movie. And obviously it made me really sad thinking about his character in the movie being sick and basically almost on his deathbed with a heart problem. And then of course, Forrester dies in real life. You yeah. know, he had a great career, but we all, we all know and love him from so many different movies that we all love him. Hold on. We all know and love him from so many different movies, but here, you know, I would have liked him a little more, but I'm also so appreciative that he's in a werewolf movie. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Like, Absolutely. You got to expect that. I, f- so. I feel like the movie could have been a, a little bit more about the father son aspect rather than the father daughter relationship. I really do like uh, the actress, Chloe East, who plays his daughter, Jenna. She did a terrific job, especially in the horror sequences and in the dramatic sequences. She really shines. I mean, you can't have you can't have a movie. You can't have a werewolf movie without a teenage girl and a teenage boy trying to have sex and then a werewolf coming up and attacking. I mean, it gives us one of our best visual shots and imagery of the entire movie is when they're in this SUV or whatever and they're about to bang or whatever. The werewolf hand comes up against the back window and slides down and a little scratch and you see the scratch marks on the window. I just had to mention that real quick, not to spoil every kill because we haven't talked about them all. I don't plan to. We don't really need to go in depth on all of them because you should be enjoying them for yourselves, even though I want to talk about all of them. But <laughs> I mean, she, she was fantastic. I think the chemistry that her and Cummings had, fantastic, very realistic, very real. I mean, with someone that has a 17 year old, she's almost 17 in the household, I could definitely relate to how uncomfortable things can be and how weird it is but you know so she definitely did a great job i i agree with you though um that father-son dynamic would have been probably a little more interesting to me and as you said in thunder road they already kind of already covered the whole dude's a cop and has problems with his estranged daughter yeah thing, and i want to so. mention that i mean this movie like exactly like thunder road deals with a small town cop dealing with alcoholism anger management issues and his own strained relationship with his daughter so i don't know why he decided to kind of redo those same themes i maybe he thought that he would take some of those same themes and just 
introduce a werewolf into the proceedings. I don't know if he thought that, that would be fun or a challenge, but that's what I thought. But I mean, like him being on the set of Thunder Road or like watching it with maybe at, at, with an audience at Alamo. And he's like, hmm, what if I use these themes with a werewolf? Because <laughs> make no mistake. Remember when you were sh- when you were with him and you were watching Thunder Road in that room, three theaters down the hall, I was helping host this member of the Alamo. That's right. The annual horror fest, and we are watching haunted fucking Ween at the same time. <laughs> um, but you know, what I mean, there's plenty of ideas there that he could have, you know, came to his brain like, wow, and it is a great idea, it really is. So, I mean, regardless of that, I think what's there on screen that we get is of high quality. And I have to say, while we're going to wrap up the review here, I really loved the ending. I thought the ending. There's a little twist there, and I think when you get there, if you follow the entire movie, you'll notice it right off the bat. Like, you basically proclaimed, you noticing it right out loud, you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. And I'm like, yep, there it is, but it ends with a bang. They don't make it, yeah, they don't make it too obvious, the twist. Initially, again... um, as I mentioned before, I think drawing a parallel between the struggles with addiction and and having problems containing your anger, I thought that was going to play in the proceedings starting out. But the movie throws a couple twists and turns your way, so uh, it's 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 unpredictable in a good way. I can see the ending frustrating a lot of people, a lot of horror fans. But for me, I thought it worked. I thought he pulled it off with a plum and tying it back with humor and heart, I think is important to wrap everything up in a nice little bow. Uh, yeah, we, we definitely see at the end of this movie, this character has progressed. Yes. He has gotten better. I, I love how the movie ends on that note. I mean, the example is his daughter is at college and he walks by two boys and one of them's talking about wanting to basically bang his daughter. And this character, you know, earlier on in the movie would have grabbed the kid by the face and smashed him down <laughs> to the ground. He stands there, he breathes heavily, and then he walks away. And I love that there's some kind of closure for the character there. Exactly. Um, and I and- think also there's some kind of commentary about the police in a way, because you, if you have this character dealing with alcoholism and anger management, should that person really be a cop? I- no, <laughs> like- no. But it also makes you understand that they're real people just like everybody else. Exactly. You know what I mean, like exactly. some of them are assholes. Some of them are great people with great families. And I think that we have to view them that way. There's not just one type of police officer. They're all just like all the rest of the people in the world. We're all ourselves and individuals. So Exactly. And um, he's trying to keep everything together throughout the movie so he's trying and often failing to keep everything together but he's he is trying so sometimes you, you, feel- you have a lot of fun watch you have a lot of fun watching him not be able to handle things right and so just like thunder road i mean it makes you feel a little uncomfortable for sympathizing with him at first but ultimately you do empathize with him and i think that's important so for me personally i would love to see cummings do something completely different for his next film um in terms of the character he plays and also some of the themes he introduces into the movie i would i would hate to see him limit himself i guess is, is what i'm trying to say because i think he is so immensely talented like i said that I would love to see him completely transform himself and what he's able to do. But for me, this was a really strong sophomore effort. I thought, uh, I mean, technically it's a better movie than Thunder Road. It has more production value. I I think that the, the, the themes and the performance and everything was much better in Thunder Road for me. So if you have not checked out Thunder Road for right now, uh, as we're recording this, it's on Amazon Prime. Go check it out because I think it was really an extraordinary debut and I can't wait to see what he does next. So uh, for Wolf of Snow Hollow, I'm giving it a strong 7 out 
or 10 rating. Yeah, and I'm going to piggyback right off of that and give it the same, a 7 out of 10. It was good. I liked it quite a bit. Um, And to also go back to what you were saying about this may frustrate some horror fans with the twist and everything, and when you watch it, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. It did not ruin it for Mm -hmm. me at all whatsoever because it does not hurt or change anything about what you saw earlier on in the movie. Um, I think it just it's still extremely strong one way or the other. You get the goods, man. Like, that's the whole point. You get everything you're wanting out of a werewolf movie for the most part. So, suspense, comedy, great characters, great performances, practical fucking werewolf. The kills were very good. You know what I mean? They don't go out of their way to make them too crazy. I mean, I would have loved to have seen some heads rolling and stuff more, but I mean, what we got was very good. They didn't skimp on the gore. Yeah, see, they didn't skimp on the kills. You see missing limbs. Yeah, and in one scene, they're like, why did why did they remove her vagina? So <laughs> that's enough. That's enough. That's all we'll say. The Wolf of Snow Hollow, definitely be sure to check it out. It's definitely perfect for the spooky season and for, because I mean, it all takes place with snow and shit around it. So also for, you know, the season that we're about to be coming up on in November and December, you could also watch it for the Never Seen It November Challenge, which we're also doing next month. Um, but thank you so much for hanging out with us here on the Epic Film Guys podcast and this little spooktacular mini-sode. Like I said earlier on, if you like what you're hearing, please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. And boy, Sauce, if they're also new to listening to the show, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find us at Epic Film Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also feel free to join our little fan community, the Hobster's Dumpster, with all the other dumpster dwellers and that filthy, stinky hobo himself. The that Hobster. piece of shit. That's right. Yep. Uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash Epic Film Guys is where you can find the Hobster's Dumpster. Come talk movies with us. Yeah. And we got plenty more content lined up for you for the rest of the month. We're super excited to keep talking all about spooky stuff with you guys. So until next time, we love you guys. I'm Justin. And I am Loy Sauce. And we will see you at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>